Anyways, Matthew chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. And um, while you're turning there, I want to bring your attention to a story that maybe you remember from uh, a few years ago. It was October the 2nd in 2006, and uh, there was a small town in Pennsylvania um, called Nickel Mines. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and on to- October the 2nd, uh, in, in that small town, there was this, uh, reporters and news trucks and satellite trucks and all that converged on this tiny little town um, because they were there to cover a breaking story uh, from a tragedy that had, had just unfolded in this little, small, unassuming town. And um, what had happened was a man by the name of Charles Roberts IV um, had showed up at, at an Amish schoolhouse, and um, it was around 10 a.m., and according to witnesses, he came in with uh, multiple guns. Um, he had all the boys that were present in the schoolhouse that day. He told them to leave, along with some of the uh, adult um, workers that, that had infant children with him. Um, so they left, and then he, uh, once they were out, he, he ties up uh, these 10 remaining girls in the schoolhouse, and from there, um, made a call to his wife, said he would not be coming home, and then opened fire. And so the state troopers that had just showed up on the scene, as soon as they heard the gunfire, they came barging in, rushing into the schoolhouse, the little Amish schoolhouse, and they found uh, that the gunman had already turned the gun on himself. And so at the end of all that, that transpired, though, those, those few minutes that morning, um, there was, the gunman was dead, and then five young, uh, five young girls had lost their lives as a result of the actions that day. And so I don't know if you can remember that. Again, that was 15 years ago, 2006. Uh, I would have been a sophomore at the University of Kentucky. And, uh, yeah, and um, we, I vaguely remember the story, but, like, reading it, reading the articles and stuff this week just kind of fell in a fresh way because now I've, I don't, I've got kids of my own, and I'm just like, man, I cannot fathom that tragedy, right? But as, as shocking as the events that transpired on that day were, what might be almost as shocking was the response of the Amish community. And so maybe you remember, maybe you don't. Uh, I'm going to read. This is according to an article published by The Guardian. This article was actually published on the 10th year anniversary of the event. So this is an article from 2016. It says this. On the day of the killings, members of the Nickel Mines community took food to Robert's widow. So the, the man who, who busted in, boarded up the doors, killed five people. On the day of the killings, members of the Nickel Mines community took Robert's food to Robert's widow. Six days after the shooting, families who had just buried their daughters attended Robert's funeral. Money from funds that poured in from around the world to, to the Amish community was diverted to the killer's family even though many of the Amish victims faced huge medical bills. So in the midst of a tragedy that like, I cannot wrap my mind around, you have this picture of what could only be described as radical forgiveness. Or I think you would call it supernatural forgiveness. 
And the reason I bring that up is it's going to set us up for what I want to talk about this morning. We're in our, our Faith Is series. Uh, we're just talking about kind of what we try to do over the last few weeks is, all right, we've got this idea of faith. You, you know, we say, I'm a person of faith or I have faith. But what does that actually mean? Like, what does that look like in real day-to-day life? And so that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. We started just talking about how faith is Christ-centered. Right? Our faith is not just in an idea. Our faith is not just in a concept. Uh, our faith is in a person, and his name is Jesus. Our faith is in what Jesus has done for us. So faith is Christ-centered. And then we went on from that and said faith is resting in God's mercy. All right? Faith is not about our ability to uh, achieve some sort of level of spiritual superiority over others. Our faith uh, rests in God's mercy extended towards us. All right, in the last week, Andrew preached about how our faith is evidenced by our love for others, right? Because God first loved us, then we love others. So that was last week. And, and this week, as you probably already guessed, we're going to talk about forgiveness because it kind of flows out of this idea uh, from love. But we're just going to talk about how, man, if faith, to have real, genuine faith means that, means that we forgive, Right? It means that we forgive. So Matthew chapter 18, to give you some context this morning, if um, we're going to read a parable that, that Jesus told to his disciples. But just before this parable, uh, Jesus was uh, kind of addressing some different things around this idea of forgiveness or um, you know, how many times should you forgive your brother when he sins against you. And so uh, there's uh, earlier in chapter 18, Jesus is kind of walking through, here's how you're reconciled to a brother who sins against you, right? You first go to him, just you and him, and then if necessary, you bring some more people along. And so he walks through that process, and then right on the heels of that, Peter shows up, and Peter's like, okay, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Maybe you guys are familiar with this. And Peter says, uh, or Jesus says to Peter, you know, you forgive him 70 times 7, or 77 times, or translated different ways. The point being, we forgive continuously, we don't keep record of wrongs against us, like a little tag. Like, okay, there's, there's one more. I'm almost hitting that number. No, we're people who forgive continuously. And so to kind of drive that home, Jesus tells a parable. Uh, and if you're familiar with parables, this is where Jesus tells a fictional story to prove a, a deep, like, spiritual truth. And so um, here's, beginning in verse 23... Jesus tells the parable. We'll kind of walk through it a little slowly. Um, verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. All right, so what you have here is um, Jesus, when he tells parables, typically when you get a king or a master or a ruler, they represent God. When you get servants, uh, they represent people. All right, so what Jesus is doing off the top, we're, we're talking about forgiveness Right, and Peter's just asked, how many times do I forgive my brother? But then Jesus is going to respond with a parable. But he takes it out of just horizontal. Right? It's not just about forgiving my brother. And he's adding a, a vertical element to this. Because his parable is about a master, about a king, and servants. And so, um, moving on, it says, When he began to settle his accounts, one was brought to him, a servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. All right, so 
What you could hear is the king is about to settle some of his accounts and a servant, he brings a servant in and this servant owes him a huge debt. Right? It says 10,000 talents is the amount. Um, a talent was the highest known denomination in the ancient Roman Empire. Right? So it's this huge amount in and of itself. And then it says that he owed 10,000 talents. And 10,000 just happens to be the, uh, the largest number that the Greek language like, had a particular word for. Okay, so basically the point, I mean, we, you, there's a lot of debate over how much the servant owed, how much, you know, what would that be in today's money. The point that Jesus is making is he owed a debt that he could not pay. He could have worked the rest of his life and never repaid the debt that he owed to the king. All right, and so the king knows he'll never fully recoup his losses. And so he sends this servant who owes them 10,000 talents. He sends him to uh, him and his family to prison. All right. But here's what happens next. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Right, so facing a penalty that he could not pay, he just falls to his knees. Right, and he says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Right, underline those words. They're going to come back in just a minute. The, the servant knows he has a debt he cannot pay. Falls on his knees and cries out to the king and says, forgive me. Right, forgive me is essentially what he's asking for. Right, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He, he makes a promise that the reality is he knows he probably can't keep because this debt is so huge that he cannot possibly pay it. But then out of pity is what the, uh, the text says, which is the same word that the Bible translates elsewhere for compassion. Out of pity it says that the king um, forgives him, or releases him from the debt, forgives him. Right, his this servant's extravagant, inconceivable, unpayable debt has been fully forgiven by a kind and gracious and generous, compassionate king. Right? Now, if the story ended there, we'd be like, that's a great story. Right? But the story goes on. Verse 28 says, But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this same servant who's just been forgiven uh, a, uh, a incon an inconceivable debt now goes out. And as he goes out, he sees a fellow servant. And this fellow servant owes him, uh, it says, a um, hundred denarii. Right now, a denarii was roughly a, a day's wage. So uh, this other servant owes the first servant. About 100 days worth of work. So it's not a small amount. Okay? It's not small in and of itself. It is a significant debt. But when you compare it with uh, the debt that the first servant owed the king originally that he was forgiven of, it's like it's, there's a significant difference there. Right? It pales in comparison to what the first servant owed. Right? But his response right, is... is it's like a, a case study in missing the point of forgiveness, right? Because he has, he's just been forgiven much, 
And now he goes out and he sees his peer with a like, significantly less debt. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And he begins to choke him, right? Pay me. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. So the same words that this first servant just used to plead with the king, right now you've got the other, ser- or this, the other servant, his, his fellow servant, falls on his knees and, and cries out the same thing to him. Have patience with me, I will pay you. So we're thinking, wait a second, maybe in this servant's, the first servant's mind, he's like, maybe at least this would kick in. Right? And remind him, oh my goodness, I was in this same place just moments ago. I need to extend forgiveness because I was just forgiven. But that's not what we see in verse 30. Sorry, verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So being just forgiven much, being just been like lavished in forgiveness, released from his debt, this servant fails to extend that to his fellow servant who owes him significantly less, right? So verse 31, it says, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So the king gets word of what's just happened. He's just forgiven this huge debt. He sends the servant out. That servant sees another servant who owes him significantly less and yet he refuses to forgive. And so as you can understand, like the king is upset. He's angry. Right? He, he, he says, like he basically retracts that forgiveness. Right? And, and we kind of identify with the king here because we, we're looking at this unforgiving servant and we're thinking like, man, how could you miss that? Like you are just forgiven much. How could you not in turn forgive little? And so we, again, we identify with the king. We're like, yes, this guy deserves everything that he's getting. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. He doesn't deserve, uh, like, he deserves the full wrath of whatever the king is going to lay on him. Right? And we're kind of, like, we're waiting to see what this guy's got coming to him. And then Jesus drops the bomb in verse 35. He says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Right, so it's like Jesus with his mic drop. Right? You got this, this parable, right? Jesus is just out here telling a story about a couple of unforgiving servants. We're on the edge of our seat thinking, man, how could this guy miss it? He deserves to be thrown in jail. How could he not extend forgiveness when he's just received forgiveness? And then all of a sudden, Jesus brings the parable to the personal and he says, hey, you know that servant that, that you looked at with contempt? Because he didn't forgive. You know that servant that you just thought was despicable, how he wouldn't forgive? Yeah, that's you if you won't forgive your brother. The servant that you 
right, that you were just disgusted by, that's you if you don't extend forgiveness. So here's what I want to do. Um, the, kind of the rest of our time this morning is I'm going to pull uh, a, a few things to kind of make this parable personal to us. And then we're going to get, try to get really practical with this idea of forgiveness after that, right? So three things, real quick, about forgiveness from, from our parable here. First thing is this, is we have received extravagant forgiveness from God. Right? We, have ex- we have received extravagant forgiveness from God. Right? We are like the first servant. We, like, because of our sin, we owe a debt to God that we can never repay. Right? Our sin committed against a holy God. Our sin committed against people created in His image. Right? Because of the sins that we've committed, like, we owe a debt to God that we could never repay on our own. Like, there's no amount of effort. There's no amount of uh, working that could pay off our debt. Like the first servant. We could have spent the rest of our lives just working and striving and we would never pay off the debt that we owe to God. But, man, praise God. Like Andrew preached last week, God is, God is love. Right? He first loved us. He's a God of mercy and compassion and grace and forgiveness. And so the good news is even though we owe a debt that we could never pay, when we cry out to God for forgiveness, when we cry out like mercy, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, man, the, the, the Bible tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That is good news. That is good news for a people like us who have a debt we could never pay. That because of Jesus in our place, the debt is paid in full. So we've received extravagant forgiveness from God. The second thing, from our parable, but for us, withholding forgiveness from others is a failure to grasp the forgiveness we have first received. When we read about, like this parable, and we read about the unforgiving servant and his unwillingness uh, to forgive, I mean, what goes off in our minds is we're like, man, how could this guy do this? Right? How, could he so, how could he be so ungrateful for the forgiveness that he has received just minutes earlier? And yet, as Jesus teaches, like, this is, this is us. Right? When, we, like, when we withhold forgiveness from others, we are the unforgiving servant. Because forgiveness is extending to others what we have first received from God. Right? It's like a, uh, we, we are conduits of forgiveness, if you will. Right? It, it's about to get time where you guys are going to be outside with your water hoses and working in the yard and all that. And is there anything more annoying than when you get a kink in the hose? Like you're trying to carry it around the corner of the house and all of a sudden the water just stops. You're like, what is going on here? Right? And that's exactly what happens when we receive forgiveness from God and yet all of a sudden we think, well, I don't have to extend forgiveness. So there's this kink in the hose, right? What we receive from God, we should, re- we should extend to others. And withholding forgiveness from others is a blatant failure to recognize the forgiveness that, that we have first received. And the third thing, our unwillingness to forgive others is evidence that we haven't personally received God's forgiveness. I'm going to say that again because that like hits hard, right? 
Our unwillingness to forgive others is evidence that we haven't personally received God's forgiveness. See, in the, in the end of the parable, the unforgiving servant, ultimately he didn't receive forgiveness that the king had originally extended. And, and the point is not that the king uh, like just took his forgiveness back. Remember, this is a fictional story taught to tell or to make a, a, a deeper truth. right? So the point is not that the king took forgiveness back. The point is that um, it is impossible to have genuinely received God's forgiveness and in turn withhold that from other people. Right? If, we, if we fully grasp what God has done for us and the forgiveness that he has extended to us, we cannot possibly fail to extend that forgiveness to other people. Now, that doesn't mean forgiveness is easy. That doesn't even mean it always comes natural. And I'm getting ahead of myself. I should save some of that for later. Right? But if we understand how much we've been forgiven, when we see the depths of our sin for what it is, an offense against the holy God, and we understand that he's forgiven us, I mean, we cannot possibly withhold that from others. Right? So our unwillingness to forgive is evidence that we have not personally received God's forgiveness. Because here's the deal. Forgiven people forgive people. Maybe you've heard that before. That's not original to me. Forgiven people forgive people. Those who have experienced God's forgiveness should be the mo- like we should be the ones most motivated to extend forgiveness to others. Right, now I said we were going to get practical, so that's what we're going to try and do here. Okay? Um, and, and here's why. Forgiveness is great as an idea. Right? Like we sit here and we're like, yes, we should forgive. And then all of a sudden we get hurt. And then forgiveness becomes more than just this sort of idea out here and sort of the ethereal. It's all of a sudden it's something that we've got to wrestle with ourselves. And there's not a person in this room that either hasn't had to extend forgiveness. Right? Like there's, all of us have either had to wrestle with this or we will have to wrestle with this. Really, all of us probably already have. And so what I want to do is, is just to kind of give us some general guidelines when we talk about forgiveness, practical things when it comes to forgiving other people. And, and, and let me say this, all right? Living in a fallen world with fallen people means we're going to get beat up a little bit, right? It, it, it may be from the hands of, like, family, maybe the words someone has said to you and your family, uh, it may be something from a friend that has hurt you. It may be a coworker. Gosh, it may be someone sitting in this room. It may be your church. Okay, church hurt is a real thing. Okay, we've all experienced what it means to be hurt, which means we've all have an opportunity to extend forgiveness. But before we, I'll give you some some things here. Here's what I want to say though. Forgiveness is complex, right? Because people are complex. Situations are complex. Uh, Circumstances are complex. And so I just want to be clear. I'm giving general guidelines, okay, that I think would be from Scripture. General guidelines. This is not uh, 
Forgiveness is not a one-size-fits-all sort of thing, right? Our, our situations, our circumstances are unique. They require uh, right, detail, and, and, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of intricacies to this kind of thing. So what I want to give you is just some general ideas, all the while acknowledging that, that forgiveness is not going to be played out the same for every single person because every situation, circumstance, relationship is different and unique. So, with that said, let me give you a few things that forgiveness is not, and then we'll talk about what forgiveness is, all right? First thing, forgiveness is not forgetting. I mean, you guys have heard, forgive and forget. And it sounds really good in theory. That's not the way the human brain works, right? It is almost impossible for us to forget the wrongs that have been done to us. Right? So forgiving does not always mean forgetting, right? Because those wrongs that have been done to us, the words that have been said to us, those things like linger for a while. Right? Like me, if we were to go around this room, there's probably some of us in here that could think back to the words that some person said or, or the actions that some person did that, that harmed us. Right? There's... Uh, some of us have been shaped by those things. Right? They've affected us for months and years. Right? Some of us, the things that, that we experienced, the, the ways that we were hurt or the words that were spoken to us when we were younger have shaped where we are today. Right? Some of us, the, the, way, the things that even like maybe our parents said to us when we were younger has affected the way that we parent today. And so it's, it's almost impossible to forget when we're sinned against. Right? So forgiveness is not... Forgetting. Forgiveness is not, second thing, forgiveness is not the absence of pain. Even when we choose to forgive, the the pain or the hurt of the offense against us, it doesn't just evaporate. Okay? Like, forgiveness is not an anesthetic. I went to the dentist a couple weeks ago, you know, and they pumped me full of stuff and they started cutting holes in my teeth and digging around. Some of you guys just cringe hearing that, right? Right? I had a really good anesthetic. Forgiveness doesn't do that. Like we can genuinely forgive and, and still hurt and grieve for the sins committed against us. Right? Forgiveness is not the absence of pain. Third, forgiveness is not excusing or overlooking sin. Right? God is a God of justice. Which means he will always do what is right. Now, we don't always see that in the moment, right? But, but God did not just excuse or overlook or minimize our sin against him and our sin against others. Right? He, he didn't just kind of like sweep it under the rug. No, he dealt with it fully and completely by putting all of our sin on Jesus, nailing it to the cross. Right? So my point is, and we don't, we don't minimize sin. We don't overlook sin. Uh, forgiveness is not any of those things, right? We, we can forgive someone and there still be consequences for that sin, right? Whether those just be like relational or even legal, right? Forgiveness is not excusing or overlooking sin. Number four, forgiveness is not making it easy to be hurt again. Now, part of this is 
just by living in a fallen world in close relationship with fallen people, you're going to get hurt again. What I mean specifically by this is there are situations and circumstances in which uh, someone may have hurt you physically or mentally or emotionally, right? And you can extend forgiveness, and that doesn't mean you have to go back to that situation or circumstance or relationship in the same way. There are countless stories of people that have been harmed, and they can forgive, but that doesn't mean they need to go back to where they were. You can forgive and not make yourself, uh, not open yourself up to be hurt in the same way again. Okay? So forgiveness is not making it easy to be hurt again. Forgiveness is not just a one-time decision. Right? It is a one-time decision in the sense that you make the cognizant decision to forgive. But oftentimes what happens is when we forgive, begin, because we don't forget, we've got to make a decision every day to forgive. Right? It's not just a one-time. This is going back to the article that I referenced earlier about the um, it's the tragedy there in the Amish community. Um, it says this. This is one of the people quoted from the community, quoted in the article. It said, forgiveness is not a one-and-done thing. It is a lifelong process. And then there's another man that was interviewed. It says, um, this man recalled the shock of the day when he had to deal with the news that one of his daughters was dead and one was wounded. And these are his words. But you see, forgiveness is a journey. I still made that immediate choice in principle, but it took me a few years until I could feel that I really meant it inside of me to forgive Charlie. Right, so forgiveness, I mean, you, you can decide to forgive in a moment, but you're probably going to have to repeat that day after day after day to choose to forgive. All right, so we've got what forgiveness is not at least generally, generally speaking. Now I want to talk about what forgiveness is. Okay, There's going to be a lot of scripture sprinkled in here. It'll be on the screen. You don't have to flip back and forth. All right, number one. Forgiveness is praying for those who hurt you. All right, scripture, and specifically Jesus, time and time again, talk about praying for those who hurt you. All right, praying for those who, who have harmed you. This is Matthew 6, 12. This is the, the Lord's Prayer, right? The, the model prayer, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Right? He says, Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you or hurt you or, or harm you. Because right? there's this thing that happens when we pray for those who have hurt us. Right? Yes, one, we're, like, we're genuinely praying for them. But what prayer does often is, yes, it may change the person, but then prayer changes us. Right? When, you, when you begin to pray for someone that has hurt you or harmed you or sinned against you, right, you can't help but have your heart changed for that person. So forgiveness is praying for those who hurt you. Right? Because and in the end, like, what happens when we pray for others is it it just changes our hearts right it's much easier to forgive someone that we've prayed for 
Right? God does this supernatural work in our hearts of changing our hearts, uh, maybe where there was once angerness and bitterness and resentment, and we begin to pray, and all of a sudden, maybe we begin to see that we've been forgiven much. Right? So we pray for those who have hurt us. Right? We, pray, we pray that just that we would be able to forgive. Right? There are moments when our, like our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Right, where we know forgiveness is the right thing, but gosh, it feels so much better to just hold on to anger and bitterness. Right? So as we pray, man, our heart is changed towards those that we need to extend forgiveness to. Number two, forgiveness is releasing bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15, the author writes, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Or as Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verses 31, 32, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Bitterness is this thing that grows inside of us. I think it's, uh, I think it's purpose, purposeful, purposeful. I think it's intentional, be a better way to say it, that the author of Hebrews referred to bitterness as like this root that grows and springs up, right? Bitterness is what grows when we refuse to uh, let go of, of whatever wrong was committed against us. And again, I, I'm not saying forgiveness means that, like, that we'll forget, right? but we can choose to put away bitterness. And we do that by just shifting our focus away from the sin committed against us and focusing all the more on God, on his word. This is what um, author Chris Braun, Chris Braun wrote in a book called Unpacking Forgiveness. Uh, he says, if you wrestle, if you find yourself wrestling with bitterness, then focus more intently on our glorious God. If we believe that God will accomplish justice, and if we are simultaneously confident that God is working all things together for our good, if that is our center, then we will beat the stuffings out of bitterness every time. Right? Bitterness, we release bitterness by focusing not, not on the wrongs, the sins committed against us, but by focusing on a God who is just and a God who is always working all things together for our good, even if we don't understand it in the moment. So forgiveness is releasing bitterness. Third, forgiveness is keeping your eyes on Jesus. One of my favorite, favorite passages in all the Bibles, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And in that, the author says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So the author's point is, one, life can be difficult. Two, run with endurance. And three, do that by keeping your eyes on Jesus. And here's why. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, received the full brunt of the punishment for all the sins of the world. The sinless Jesus received the punishment for all sins. The only person that should have never been punished for their sin received the punishment for all sin. Which is to say that if, if anyone ever had a reason 
to cry out injustice. If everyone ever had a reason to focus on the wrongs committed against them, it would be who? Jesus. And yet the author of Hebrews says that he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And, and we're coming up on the Easter season, right? Good Friday. What were the words that Jesus said when he was being nailed to the cross? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right? When we look to Jesus, right, what we see is that forgiveness was at the very heart of who he was and what he came to do. Like the more that we look to him, the more that we look to him, the more that our heart, our heart, I just sounded real Kentucky there, didn't I? The more our heart reflects his forgiveness. Here's the fourth thing. Forgiveness is seeking to do good to those who harm you. These are Paul's words in Romans chapter 12. It says this, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, this is what radical forgiveness looks like. To be able to look at someone that has sinned against you, that has hurt you, that has harmed you. Maybe it's like superficial or maybe you've been deeply, deeply wounded by someone. But radical forgiveness is to be able to look at that person and want their best and to seek where possible to do good to them. And again, listen, circumstances, situations, relationships are all unique. Right? There, there's details to each one that have to be worked through that require wisdom and discernment. I mean, what, what a witness to the world to extend that kind of radical forgiveness. Right? What, a, what a witness to the world that is divided on literally everything you could be divided on to be able to look at someone who has sinned against you and genuinely want the best for that person. To seek to do good to them and for them. Right, when, we, when we work for good for those who maybe have slandered us. Right, instead of quietly harboring resentment or bitterness. Right, what about when we pray for those who we vehemently disagree with. Instead of posting some sort of passive aggressive meme on Facebook. Right, what... What about like, like the community, the Amish community in the beginning of the, the message? What, what about delivering a home-cooked meal to the widow of the man who just killed the children of your community? That is radical forgiveness. And that's exactly the kind of, of thing that the world takes note of. And here's Here's the reality is that this type of forgiveness, this sort of radical loving your enemies, doing good to your enemies, 
this is like the very heart of God. Because it was God who moved towards us before we ever deserved it. While we were still his enemies, God moved towards us. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Listen, we're, we are gathered here in this place this morning because God saw fit to do good to his enemies, us, by sending his son to die in our place. That's radical forgiveness. So here's why I got two, two things to leave you with. Two things. First question is this, have you received God's forgiveness? Have you received God's forgiveness? Has there been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin, where you've acknowledged that you are a sinner, that your sins are offensive to a holy God, and you've cried out to Jesus to forgive you and save you from your sin? Have you received God's forgiveness? If not, if not, that's step one for you this morning. Yes, forgive others, but the forgiveness, you need to be forgiven first. That's, that's what I'm desperately calling you to this morning. If you've never received God's forgiveness, right, it's offered to you through Jesus. I would love to talk to you after the service this morning or during the time of invitation here in a moment, if that's you. All right, but the, other, the second question is probably more generally applicable for, for us in this room, and that's this. Do you need to extend forgiveness? Is there, is there someone, as you sat here this morning, you talk about forgiveness, and they just their face keeps popping up in your mind because they've sinned against you, they've wronged you, they've hurt you, they've wounded you. Do you need to extend forgiveness? Right? Maybe it, again, forgiveness is a process. So maybe you would just begin this morning by saying, I'm going to commit to praying for this person that has hurt me. Right? Or I'm going to commit to praying just that the Lord would help me to forgive. Right? Maybe you need to pray and ask that God would help you to just release the bitterness, the, the stuff that you're holding on to. Or maybe, you, maybe you're at the point where you're ready to forgive and you need to make a phone call or I take someone out to lunch this week and just say, hey, listen, I just want to let you know I've been holding this against you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. I forgive you for what you've done. Right? Maybe, maybe it's a family member that you haven't spoken to in years. <laughs> right? Holidays get weird because you don't want to talk to them. Do you need to extend forgiveness? Here's what I said earlier. Forgiven people forgive people. 
And in Christ, we have been a people who have been forgiven much. So let us also be a people who forgive much. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And again, we just are reminded how much you have forgiven us. An inconceivable debt that we could never pay. That you took and you placed it on your son, Jesus, on the cross. So Father, as we recognize the, the, the forgiveness you have extended to us, may we be a people who extend that forgiveness to others. Lord, I, I pray that as you bring things to mind in this moment, places where we need to extend forgiveness, people we need to pray for that have, have wronged us or hurt us. Lord, I pray we'd be faithful to just respond in obedience, to extend forgiveness, to, to pray for those who have hurt us, to, um, to release the bitterness. Right, whatever the need is this morning, Father, I pray that you would move, that you would move us, help us to respond in obedience by your Spirit. So Lord, we pray, we love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.